0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Chooseify radio podcast. Today on the show, we are going to be discussing this past week's episode where we finally, finally talked about Bitcoin. Got a lot of feedback on that and actually surprisingly, most of it was good. And that's a very polarizing topic, so I can't wait to get into it. After we finish that, we're actually going to bring in feedback from our community and talk about your thoughts, your ideas on the show. And in particular, Steve wants to share how he used an HSA to crush his tax bill making it absolutely his frugal win of the week. Kelly has a question about five tips to give to kids that are prepping to go to college. And Jim wants to highlight some extremely cool career options. Welcome to the ultimate crowdsource personal finance show. This is your Friday roundup. You're listening to choose FI radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for
1: financial independence online.
0: Well, this episode is going to be a lot of fun, so much to cover, and honestly, the best part of this show is being able to bring in what else is going on inside the community. What are people grappling with and what ideas do they have to share? So I'm really excited to get into this. But uh, before we do that, what's going on in your world, man? I've had a uh, crazy kind of week.
2: We actually just moved into our new house about a week ago. And yeah, it has just been busy, busy, busy. You know, moving is never easy. And the way we went about it is just kind of odd because we only moved two miles down the road. So it wasn't like, okay, this crazy fervor to get everything ready and just have the movers move everything in one fell swoop. We kind of leisurely did it, which has really added to the stress in some, I was going to say nothing leisurely about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess leisurely, maybe, maybe a bit of an exaggeration because I've been working essentially 16 hour days for the last seven days, but you know, it's funny to leave stuff at the old house and just kind of move at, I I must have done 20 to 30 trips now back and forth. So yeah, it's been, it's been very, very interesting.
0: And you become acutely aware of whether or not your home is a one story home or a two story home when you're moving. (laughs) That is very, very true. And you also become acutely aware of how much stuff
2: you actually own, which is which is interesting. So we've talked obviously ad nauseum about me wanting to be this minimalist, right, in my perfect world. And and in fairness, we did a really good job of kind of culling a lot of our possessions, it doesn't feel like we have that much stuff in the grand scheme of things. And now it's a lot more orderly. We have this kind of storage room as opposed to an attic and everything just shoved up there. We got rid of probably half of our attic in terms of stuff, just donated it and and things like that. And we now have this storage room downstairs where I can actually physically see what we own, like all this miscellaneous junk you have in your life. And Laura and I can now walk in there and say, like, okay, do we really need that or put a time limit on something? Hey, if we haven't used this in a year, it might be time to get rid of it. So I think that's definitely
0: going to help with our little uh, minimalism adventure, I guess. I definitely have that attic that stuff just gets put into. And I guess I have a confession. I have a weird obsession with the original boxes for stuff like this is the ultimate just wasted space. You have an empty box that's taking up space in your attic, and it, it it's not at this point being used for any sort of purpose. But it's just oh well, what if I need to put the item back in the original box in case I were to move or relocate or something else? It's just dumb. I remember at one point in time uh, when I was a college student, I w- I had a, a Lancer. It was a Mitsubishi Lancer, and I moved I think five times over five semesters, and everything I owned could be fit into two to three car trips in this little Lancer. I can no longer make that claim.
2: <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many Lancers full it would take now. That's the,
0: that's the, uh, universal, uh, measurement measurement stick for how <laughs> yeah. much crap you have. <laughs> a Lancer full I like <laughs> adding to the lexicon. Yeah.
2: Indian. And, and yeah, it's been cool. I, we've had just a ton of help from our family. Laura's parents have been down here just working tirelessly. And my mom came into town and has been a huge help. And actually my brother is visiting from Santiago, Chile, which is just really cool that he got to be here just in general to spend a handful of days with him. And actually you're going to meet him in a little bit, which is neat. And yeah, just having everybody here in the new house and, and helping out, it's just been
0: really, really wonderful. Oh uh, yeah. And that's going to be cool. And one of the things with Scott, uh, your brother is that we were going to try to, to get him on the show some point this year, I think him and Rosemary and talk about the foreign earned income exclusion program, which is something that for expats and people that are living overseas, th- this yet another tool to put in the toolbox. I mean, he's someone that has actually benefited from this.
2: Yeah. Not only that, but international teaching is kind of a cool little hack that many teachers in the U S don't know about. And I feel like for the Phi community, people with adventurous spirits, it's, it's something they should really look into. It's it is absolutely supercharged. My brother's path to fi. It's almost mind boggling, frankly, like he lives in this wonderful, safe metropolitan city and lots of culture. He works at basically the best school in all of South America. I think his total compensation package is somewhere in the vicinity of double what he was making here in Virginia. And they pay for his living expenses and the tax rate is super low. It's like all these things you just keep adding on and adding on. And they have dozens of teachers at this school from America who are all these expats looking for this adventure. And it's, it's just a neat community. So, I mean, it really kind of hits, Jonathan, all those boxes that we talk about with just the five mentality generally. So it's, it's a very cool
0: thing. All right. More to come on that. But that will be a fantastic episode. Well, let's go ahead and just hop into this past week's episode with Miles. And man, every time he comes on the show, it's a value add. It's so much fun to talk to him. What a storyteller. Yeah.
2: Miles is amazing. You can just sit back and let him weave that story. And, you know, I think he talked for the first 10 minutes of the podcast, which was so cool. It was like this, Hey, how did I get to use Bitcoin in the real world scenario. And I just thought that was neat because so much of the talk around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is around this crazy speculation and, Oh, is it going to go up 50% this week or down 40% or whatever it may be. But miles is actually using it in a real world situation to pay someone he has working for him. And I, I just thought that was really cool.
0: And I think what was so attractive about the way that Miles came into this, as you pointed out, was the utility. He found it. It solved a problem for him. And I think that's one of the criticisms that Bitcoin has had is this this hype that's built around it is not based around how it's solving a problem. It's based around how much it's going to be worth tomorrow. You can't afford to miss out because tomorrow it's going to 10 X overnight. It's going to 10 X six months from now. And you could see that from miles's perspective, that hype is actually frustrating. This is a futurist. This is someone that sees the value in it, but not based on this rabid hype that was so overwhelming this in December of 2017. But as this is a record of truth, this is a guy that's in it for the right reasons.
2: Yeah, he unquestionably is. And he was really very honest. We really tried to approach this entire episode, not as some sensationalist thing or clickbait or any nonsense like that. It's just, this is obviously a topic. Cryptocurrency is a topic that is in the news, in the popular culture. And I I know I personally just want to understand it a little more because it doesn't make sense to me on the face of it, like how there's any real value in these things and and I'm still not entirely convinced but at least I understand the concept especially when you hear someone like Miles talk about hey how do I pay a contractor who with this crazy story of having to go to Western Union and then having to wire money and all this other nonsense and all this friction right that's the real issue is the fees the friction between passing money or value back and forth between people who may be somewhere in the developing world and are unbanked or have major issues with, with accessing banks or like we said, fees and whatnot, like there's all these points of friction and I do on a, on an intuitive level, understand the point, at least there with the cryptocurrency, but like miles was saying, there are some major aspects of Bitcoin and the cryptos that are not achieved. He's saying a medium of exchange, right? He was saying that people really aren't taking it right now. You can't walk into your local grocery store and pay with Bitcoin. The fees are still pretty significant. There are some security issues. Obviously you hear about theft of these things all the time. He talked about a store of value where people thought of it as gold 2.0. But to his point, volatility is a major problem. When you're talking about a store of value, when something could go up or down 50 plus percent in a one or two week time span, that isn't
0: what you would relate to a store of value. That's a speculative asset. You know, there's a couple other points that come to mind too. Although he talked about wanting to use it, he wasn't actually using it at some point because of the volatility, because of how it's 10 xing in value. He was hoarding it, right? What he actually had, what he had accumulated up to that point, he was holding on to For fear, essentially, that it might be worth two or three times more in a few days. So when he was actually using it, he was putting new money in. That way he could instantly transfer it. But he was holding on to everything that he had up to this point. That's a problem. That's a problem if this is a currency. Uh, What does that actually mean for people that are finding it now, that are getting into it now? And it's fine, I guess, if you're considering it a utility. But as an investment I don't know. I think that's really where where it comes on to. You know, there was no hype around this three or four years ago. If you were someone that was excited about Bitcoin and you bought several Bitcoin for a hundred bucks, God bless you. You've made a ton of money, right? I mean, you can laugh your way to the bank or you could pull out what your initial investment was and now you're playing with the house's money. I understand that. But I guess when I started that episode with that slightly tongue in cheek, hey, that 26-year-old that's got their first $10,000 saved up and they come to you and they want to invest it all on one Bitcoin, what would you say to them? Of course, I would say to them, no, that's crazy. And if you think that now today that this is a reliable place for you to make your first investment, what are you basing it on? You're not basing it on utility. You're not basing it on where you think this is going, you're hoping that you can double or triple your money. You're gambling. This is your first investment. This is a horrible choice for you. And that's why I kind of wanted to start there because I have siblings coming to me. This is a very personal story. In December of this past year, I have family members who have never made a single investment in their entire life, who have never had any interest in the stock market and index funds in real estate. Say, should I buy Bitcoin? You know, what is it going to do tomorrow? What is it going to do next week? Can I afford not to buy this? And that is that's stupid talk. And that's not where Miles is at. You got to differentiate this out. When you're talking about a speculative investment, you need to be able to afford to lose the money. It doesn't change Miles's financial outlook. One iota in terms of his five plan If that money disappears, I guarantee you he may more than made up for what he invested in it and is playing with the house's money at this point and and will gain a lot more if Bitcoin continues to gain mass adoption. But if it goes away, he's got other plans at this point. That is not the case for the individual that's finding it now with Bitcoin sitting at $10,000 wanting, hey, I've been hearing about this on the news. Should this be where I start? No, no. The answer is universally no. That is a bad idea.
2: Yeah, that person is basically just looking like we said over and over again, it's just pure speculation, which to me, the definition is I'm buying something and hoping to sell it to some other sucker in a short term time span for more than I bought it for, right? You're not looking at the underlying fundamentals. Like when we talk about any stock investment or index funds or even real estate, right, but let's just stock investments, you're buying a little piece of a real corporation that makes real profits. And either distributes them through dividends or reinvests and tries to make an even more profitable business, right? So you're the actual owner, albeit a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of that company or companies in the case of an index fund that at least makes intuitive sense to me. I understand what I'm buying. That to me fits all the definitions of an investment. And that, again, it makes sense. We can get in for very little fees. And we're looking to buy and hold for potentially decades, right? You're not getting in and out. You're not hoping that the stock goes up $4 and then I'm going to sell it in as like a day trader would or something like that. That's not how we in the fi community generally. And of course, you know, there are certain people who do do their own thing, but in general terms, we are buy and hold investors for a period of decades. And to me, that's how I approach the vast, vast, vast majority of my My holdings, my assets. So to me, this kind of speculation with Bitcoin and other cryptos, it doesn't fit that at all. And I, to your point, Jonathan, I don't think anybody who's 26 years old and is looking to actually invest, it makes any sense for them to buy Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. If you come to me and say, Hey, I want to take a gamble on Bitcoin. Okay. Now it's a different conversation, right? Let's change the verbiage just a little bit here. And to your point, not everybody can make money on Bitcoin. Somebody had to lose money in this volatility that we saw. It wasn't everybody that got into Bitcoin suddenly 10 X overnight. The thing is you don't hear about the losers in this game. You don't hear about the people that heard about the hype in December and decided they were going to get off the sidelines and buy in when Bitcoin was dabbling with $19,000 per coin, you know, and they said, Oh, Oh, it's going to go to 48. You know, by the end of January, this is where it has to be. It's going to replace currency as it's currently being used. And it's easily at bare minimum, going to be worth 28,000 by the beginning of next year. I have to buy it. Now, somebody bought a 20 K and it went back down to six and then they got scared and they sold out. And that person isn't talking. They're quietly embarrassed, moving off the sidelines saying, I'm never going to invest again. Don't let that be you that should not be your story that is a tragedy and that is due to marketing and hype it's based on fear and it is absolutely something that is the antithesis of what we're about we're looking for a simple replicable path to wealth do not fall sucker to that and the thing is you get to a place very quickly in life when you structure your financial ground game that you don't need it yes if it works it's fantastic and if you're in a place where you can afford to take a little bit more risk you can potentially get more returns but you don't need it you're not operating from the sphere of missing out mentality that makes you do stupid stupid financial decisions yeah and Jonathan that kind
2: of weird creepy sensation as as Miles described it in late 2017 i think that's kind of the signal that there's something amiss here to your point about getting stock tips from your shushan boy like uh, Joseph Kennedy said, when, whenever you hear something, this is just my own view on life. When I hear something like that in the general population where literally in December and maybe January of, of 20, you know, 2017, 2018, every conversation, you couldn't get away. You couldn't go one day without hearing about Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. That was crazy. I mean, that is to me almost the definition of, Wow steer clear as much as you possibly, possibly can. And also when you look at the people who are these crazy Bitcoin investors, I think miles was kind of alluding to this. You see all these YouTube videos of these 25 year old kids driving around in Lamborghinis and, and talking about how they got rich and how you can too. It's just, it just reeks of scam. And then there are those, those hodl people, the, hold on for dear life. That's like this acronym that they use to, it, it's almost like this religious fervor around these cryptocurrencies and it's not like rational thought. So these are these little hallmarks of, wow, just be really, really cautious. And to me, it's, it's steer clear until there's some rationality behind this whole thing. And, and I mean, in fairness, it has dropped 60% from its heights. It said, but who knows? I have no idea what a Bitcoin is going to be worth a year from now. It could be worth anywhere from $1 to 50,000 in my estimation. And I have no idea. I have no way to put any probability on any of those 50,000 different numbers. I have no clue. So for me, that's steer as clear as you can until you understand what is this? What is it worth? What might it be worth 10 years from now? I have no idea.
0: And you know what? I was mostly ambiguous to the whole crypto thing. I have plans. My my financial plan is not dependent on it. I am focusing on other avenues. It was only interesting to me because I had people from the outside coming up to me talking about it, but I, I didn't particularly care one way or the other until... I went to go purchase a video card so I could go do some video editing for my computer and a video card that should have costed me $300 was retailing for $800. Like you just couldn't find it. In fact, people were selling used ones on eBay for $800 and I questioned, what is going on? How is this even possible? Video cards have been around forever. What is driving this? And I just did a little research, aka Google, and I found out that the mining of Bitcoin is reliant on these video cards, putting like five or six of them into a computer. Computer Bay and it is sucking up more energy than the country of Denmark that is how much energy is going into the void to mine Bitcoin how is that even possible in what crazy world do we decide that we need to create some sort of fake algorithm that requires computer chips. And we're just we're just sucking up this energy for nothing. And I don't I I guess you could I could take a very eco perspective on that. And it's kind of selfishly now I'm angry about it because it's costing me money to buy a video card. But just objectively from the outside, that just sounds dumb. Why are we doing this? It just it just doesn't make sense. PayPal doesn't need this. If this is just a form of transferring currency, why do we need to have these video cards that are involved in this and sure. Okay, fine. A video card, but more importantly than that in a, in a country, in a world in a, in a global climate, we're all focusing on energy conservation. We're going to have this one random currency that's sucking up more energy than an entire country. And then an entire country that, that that's, that's crazy talk. <laughs>
2: Jonathan, you're going to become an eco warrior. We we heard last time it's the, uh, the garbage <laughs> pile bigger than France. Now it's energy more than Denmark. This is uh, I'm very impressed by you.
0: I know. I know. It's totally crazy. But I was so angry when I had to go spend way more on a video card than I was fully <laughs> anticipating. I was like, well, I could wait for crypto to crash again. But uh, I just don't know when that's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I had to pay at least 20 percent more than I was expecting on this stupid, stupid video card. <laughs> I so Brad, actually, I was kind of surprised that the episode wasn't more polarizing. I know that we really tried hard to present a friendly face, even if me and you as individuals are unlikely to take action and you know, invest, quote unquote, in Bitcoin. We try to at least very much sit on the side of that coin, on the edge of the coin and see both sides. What feedback did you see come back? Yeah, we got a comment from Michelle on our Facebook page and she said,
2: this episode was great. I have no interest in investing in Bitcoin, but I was having a hard time just understanding the concept. I still don't quite get what makes the price fluctuate if it's basically like PayPal without a government currency. I also wonder if entities like PayPal don't provide transfers for certain countries is bitcoin just open to funding terrorism and other nefarious activities and actually
0: i think that's a a valid question Uh, i think cryptos are like miles said they are the wild wild west and while they do have this perfectly legitimate utilitarian purpose like he said to pay individual contractors the fact that they are not regulated as closely mean that there are opportunistic individuals and criminal elements that are also taking advantage of them like for instance. You can lose millions of dollars overnight if you lose control of your wallet, right? I mean, that practical realities are I know individuals that own millions of dollars, quote unquote, and and in current valuation based on where Bitcoin is now, that would be afraid to say publicly that they have this Bitcoin because it does invite this certain element. I mean, it can to some degree it can be just outside the law. I think this is something that the cryptos and Bitcoin, I guess, is the canary in the coal mine, will have to deal with. They will have to come up with more and more regulation. But I think that also flies in the face. Their stated purpose is to be decentralized, to not be able to be controlled by one particular government. So I think they're always going to have to toe that line. And unfortunately, that line is exactly what allows the criminal elements and potentially terrorist organizations to also participate in in that system. So I, you know, I'm not a Bitcoin expert, but there are certainly horror stories of criminal elements that have benefited directly from this, from this system. And now you can't say that banks are totally in the clear with this. I'm sure that they are battling with that same stuff as well, which is why there are all sorts of laws in place to prevent criminal elements from utilizing the banking system as we know it. But that threat is very real. And Jonathan, I know you got some feedback from
2: William on whether cryptocurrency can truly be decentralized. I'd, I'd love to hear it.
0: Yeah. You know, and this was something I, I feel strongly about. I mean, you know, governments have increasing control over every aspect of your life. And William messaged me this today, kind of, I, I don't know if you could say confirming my fears on this, but at least agreeing with my perspective. He said, you know, your question about centralization attacks against Bitcoin was kind of dismissed, but it is a real issue. A centralization is already occurring under a totalitarian government, even. I don't know current stats after their crackdown and banned, but there was a time when the majority of Bitcoin mining occurred in China, a country where a country has the ability to seize assets of companies. Even digital assets can be banned. Digital poker is a good example. Sure, sites can move offshore, but being cut off from the U.S. monetary system has some big impacts. Bitcoin isn't such a great investment if you can't get your money out of the ecosystem and into something where you can actually spend where you are living. And that was kind of my point as well. Sure, you can't track down the servers because they're all over the cloud but you can make it illegal to get your money out in this particular country. And I think Miles at least responded to that in a very forward-looking way, talking about how there's a competitive advantage for other countries to allow it. But it would be kind of a big deal if a few countries banned crypto altogether. And it was just a way that maybe, I don't know, third-world countries can interact. It kind of limits its utility.
2: Yeah, and it's hard to know, frankly, where this is gonna go. But yeah, thinking about these things, That's the important part. So we will see and certainly stay tuned.
0: You know, this is kind of what we're looking for. These conversations are valid. People in our community, they are very knowledgeable in very specific areas, far outside of what my or your knowledge base could possibly provide on our own. But it's helpful to bring in all these different perspectives to give us hopefully something that more closely resembles usable knowledge And uh William, thank you for weighing in on that. Let's go ahead and talk just what's going on in the community, man. I know in particular, we just recently got back from Camp Five, really haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. What a fantastic time.
2: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, truly, truly amazing. Steven, the organizer, just absolutely knocked it out of the park. Big kudos to him and a big thank you from us to him. It was it was really a wonderful event. And I, I was a little nervous going in. I mean, A, in my own little funny way, I was worried that I was going to lose my stupid voice again, which thankfully did not happen. I was able to talk the whole time. But B, more importantly, it, it was a larger event. There were definitely at least 75 people there, which is significantly larger than the normal, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 people that have been at these in the past. So I was a little worried that I wasn't going to get to know everybody or even have even five minutes to talk to every single person. But I found that I had many, many in-depth hour-long conversations so much so that it it seemed like a, a regular, if you will, quote unquote, a regular camp Phi. So Jonathan, what did you think about the the number?
0: Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, I was thrilled with it. I think that there may be some limiting beliefs on how many people you can have at these different events. And I think it's just what are you trying to create? What are you going for? And I think that Stephen found that blend. I, I think that one of the things we almost take for granted is that because we're collectively in the fi community, we have so much in common. Now we have a diversity of experiences. We're coming at it from different places. But when you have so much in common, people that would maybe traditionally consider themselves introverts – truly can find like minds to get past the small talk and really, you know, talk about what they're passionate about, what they're exploring, what they're struggling with, that sort of thing. So I saw a military dollar did a write up on it, which I will link to in the show notes. And she basically called it a summer camp for money nerds, which was perfect. I mean, you really did have the full gamut of activities that you could explore. And if you wanted your alone time, you could get away from that. And there was plenty still things that you could do. You could go for a run, go for a bike ride, but if you wanted to come in and, and hang out with individuals, there were so many different options, you know, board games, canoeing, high ropes course, and then just plenty of conversation. And when you blend that with the very focused talks that we gave, like Big Earn talking specifically about the 4% rule in person, how powerful is that? Justin talking about pre-retirement versus post-retirement budgeting. And then Hunter coming in and talking in particular about biohacking, it really was this incredibly comprehensive, fun, fun, fun weekend. So uh, I saw, I just kind of happened to see in the Camp Fi Facebook page, so many people that finished up with that group said, okay, I've got to go back. I'm going to Southwest. I'm going to Camp Fi South. I mean, just immediately saying, I got to do another one of these this year. I can't can't wait till next year for this. So uh, I was thrilled to see how relaxed and how consistent the atmosphere was going from, you know, a a Florida event, which we had a fantastic time, but just seeing that it can be replicated. It's something that people are looking for this and enjoying. And when it works, you just, you're very excited to see it take off.
2: Yeah. And it certainly works. Steven has hit on a, a pretty solid formula. I know the actual location was very similar to the one in Florida, even though this was just another retreat center in Virginia. and. Yeah, like you said, it was amazing. I wonder how many tickets Steven sold for the the one in Arkansas and the one in California, just from the people who were there in Virginia, because it it certainly seemed like a probably a couple dozen of them were just so enthused that they were going out and buying tickets almost immediately. And and there definitely still are tickets available. So if anybody listening to this is interested in joining those events,
0: it's just go to choosefi.com forward slash campfi. So let's go ahead and bring in some feedback from our community, Brad. And I thought we could start with a frugal one of the week. And actually, this is from Steve. And he says it's a frugal one of the week, the month, the year. And uh, Steve says, I've been binging on all the episodes of Choose FI. I'm not done yet, but I had to share this. I did our taxes for 2017. And between my full-time job, my wife's part-time job, and my wife's side hustle, we had a federal and state tax bill of about $1,950. I looked for ways to lower this, but I couldn't find anything. Then I got an email from my HSA administrator reminding me that we could still contribute to our HSA for 2017. Since I only entered the FI world last November, I was contributing $50 a paycheck for all of 2017. My company contributes $700 a year, so my total contribution was only about $2,000. That left me with $4,750 I could still contribute for 2017 as long as I do it or did it before the April 17th, 2018 deadline. I immediately made the contribution and my taxes changed dramatically. Now I get a federal refund and my state bill got cut more than in half leaving me with a total tax bill for 2017 of about $125. The beauty is I could pull this money right back out of the HSA since we went well over that amount on medical expenses for 2017, but we're going to leave it in the HSA and let it grow. How incredible is that? That's a really cool frugal win. I love that. Yeah, that's a frugal win of the year without
2: question. And, and to be able to pull the money right back out, because obviously they must've had these receipts just ready to submit. I mean, that is a really, really cool hack. Just talk about the perfect fi hack, right? You're really not doing anything. You're technically putting it in this account for, in this case, probably a couple days or maybe a couple weeks at the absolute most, and then just getting the money back, but getting that tax deduction in the meantime. I mean, that's just remarkable. And uh, Brad, any frugal wins on your part? Yeah, you know, I actually did. And I owe this to you. You talked last year at some point about that really cool amazon.com price tracker called camel, camel, camel. So right. It's camel, camel, camel camel.com. What an unfortunate name. It's a bizarre name, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) it works though, right?
2: It it definitely, it's hard to forget. That's for, that's for darn sure. And since you told me about this, I've really started using it. And basically essentially any product at Amazon, which is more or less any product that you could ever want to buy in the world, basically You either just type in the, that name at camel, 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 or you just take the Amazon, the identifying number, it's the ASIN number and just plug it in at their website, camel, 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 and you create a price tracker. And what happens is you get to see a graph of the price. Basically, I think it's for the last year, maybe there might even be, yeah, it looks like a year you get to see how much the price fluctuates on that item and really every item that you enter. And frankly, I was like blown away by how much variation there was just on random things. Like I've already used this twice now. So I bought a uh, squat rack for my home gym and this thing was going for like 300 bucks. But I saw that once or twice a year, it drops down below 200. I wasn't in any rush to get it. I put a price tracker on it and I think I got it for I forget the exact number, it was like 195 or 197. So that was a fantastic win. And then we've been eyeing since uh, another little Jonathan thing as buying board games, right? So uh we've been eyeing Settlers of Catan for quite some time and just haven't pulled the trigger on it for whatever reason. But I saw that it's normally somewhere in the vicinity of like 35 bucks, but every now and again it goes like below 25. So it actually dropped down to like an all time low of, I think I bought it for hold on $23 and 85 cents and got that price tracker email and just bought the thing. So, uh, it was real and actually today it's just a week later, it's already up to $35. So that's how much variation there is on Amazon pricing generally. So that's the real takeaway for the audience here is you would be shocked at how much these prices move. So anything that you're thinking about buying, even in the next year or, Hey, I might like to buy that. Like these board games that, that Jonathan does. I know you have dozens of these price tracks on these games because you don't want to buy it at retail price, but if it goes down 50% or something, Hey, maybe it's worth it at that point. So really anybody out there listening can take any product you're looking to buy, plug it into camel, 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 make an account there and just get these emails and then you decide, Hey, wow, this hit my price. Should I buy? Yeah, I just it's so cool,
0: right? (laughs) It is. And it's a little bit addictive, unfortunately, which is why I think I still have like five or six board games that are still unopened because I just my ability to purchase them was exceeding my ability to play them. But it's so powerful and you'd find a game, you would see the price and you'd be like, all right, I'll see you later, you know, because <laughs> you can get such a great deal on them. And it's a crazy the variability. I would say there are items that have variability and items that do not. You'll go on a camel camel and you'll see that this item has changed price one time over the last 36 months. All right. That's probably not going to be a good one for this to work on. But board games, they change every month, every day, multiple times a day, and the variability is easily up to 40-50%. So, yeah, and that's like the perfect. And also another one is um if you're purchasing stuff for like an upcoming baby. So, you have a baby that's going to be arriving in the next 9 months and you need to do like a baby registry or anything along those lines, massive variability in in baby products. So, that would kind of go against the frugalist aspect of what can you get for free? So maybe go with that one first, but on the other side of that, if you are going to be buying stuff retail, this would be definitely the way to do it. So Brad, we got a question from Kelly. If you are going to give advice to your college age daughters about personal finance, but you want to keep it limited to five bullet points, what would they be? These points need to be simple and memorable, but if followed, will provide the foundation for a good financially fit life. I have tried to do this exercise myself, but it's harder than you think because there's so much you want to share. I love that. I don't have the perfect answer. I thought maybe we could riff off of each other and see what we could come up with. So you have five bullet points and you're hoping that they will be memorable for your daughter or daughters as they proceed through college. Let's see what we can come up with. (laughs) All right. This is always, always frightening to be thinking about
2: this right off the top of your head, because almost invariably you're going to come up with something that you wish you added. But, but yeah, it'll be fun to kind of go through it. So, all right. My first is. Save at least 50% of your income. This certainly hits the kind of bullet point type thing. And, it, and it's definitely memorable. If you want to get on a path to fi and before you've succumbed to any type of lifestyle inflation, saving 50% of your income isn't impossible, right? I mean, unfortunately many people spend it on housing and cars like Scott trench, our friend at bigger pockets has talked about that's roughly 50% of your budget. So if people in the phi community can come right out of college and not get hit with those things or not buy an expensive car, not buy any car, frankly, or house hack, right. Or, and, or house hack, I should say, and maybe cut your living expenses down to almost zero, or in my case, live at home and save money. I didn't need to be some big adult, right. Quote unquote adult who had his own place and was spending a couple thousand dollars a month on a one bedroom apartment. No, I lived at home and I saved oodles and oodles of money. I was way over 50% for those first couple of years while I was saving for a down payment for what eventually turned into this apartment that I bought and really catapulted me those couple years catapulted me to my future path to fly. So to me, the very simple bullet point that I think anybody can remember is get started and save 50% of your income.
0: And it's even more than that. That doesn't start at college. I think for, as you're saying this now, I'm realizing that is something that on day one, as soon as there is any income that comes into play with my child, that is not that is not a deviation from the mean. That is the mean. That is what you do. You save 50%. That is the norm. That is what you're striving for. And that is like almost the minimum. You have no bills when you are a child. You are entirely dependent on your family system. Take advantage of that. That becomes your norm. And that will carry with you Once you are on your own, once you are becoming independent on the path to financially independent, uh, that is incredibly powerful advice and and it can be started way before they're getting ready to go to college. All right, so let me chip in with number two here. I'm thinking number two would be opportunity cost. You are not following a normal path. You are second generation FI. You are on this path now. So every dollar that you earn in your teens, every dollar that you earn in your 20s is worth more than a dollar than you earn in your 50s, especially when it's stacked on top of that 50% savings rate. This is incredibly powerful. And I think you need to, in order to understand this, you got to build in additional things like the rule of 72, explaining to your child how the rule of 72 works, understanding future value calculations and compound interest. That's part of this. But if you stack that on top of the number one bullet point, which was that 50% savings rate, your journey is going to be a 10 to 15 year journey. And if you're starting that at the age of 17 or 18, you've got your financial runway completed regardless of profession or career by the time that you're 28. Yeah. And opportunity cost
2: is a very powerful concept. And I'm not sure that that hits necessarily the bullet point of, of memorable, but maybe memorable just in that it's kind of an odd phrase. You don't hear it all that often, but I guess on this podcast you do, but it's really what is foregone when you make a decision? So every decision in life has an opportunity cost because you're giving up every other possibility of what you could have done, right? That's that's what a decision is. So there is opportunity cost inherent in everything. And I know we've talked about that recently, Jonathan, with college, right? College, there's a huge opportunity cost. What would have happened if you and I didn't go to a four-year college and spend a good bit of money and we had started working as an electrician's apprentice at 18 years old. Would we have reached Phi at 26? Maybe. I mean it's unknowable, obviously, but but again, I just trying to illustrate, there's opportunity cost. I spent four years at an expensive liberal arts college and albeit got a, a nice accounting degree that I could get a job from, but that was four years of foregone earnings. And the amount of money that I spent, right? So that's the opportunity cost there. So I think that is just an important fundamental concept mentally for life is the concept of opportunity cost. It's what you're giving up when you make a decision. All right, Jonathan, for me, number three would be long-term low-cost investing. So for us, it's index funds, specifically, let's say S and P 500 or total stock market index fund. Of course there's room for discussion around, around that. But generally speaking, we like to buy and hold. We like to make investing simple. Okay. We believe that we are not going to outsmart the market over a 50 year period. No amount of study, no amount of effort is going to lead us in our estimation to beat the market. So I'd frankly rather not try and incur all those costs, right? There's, there's costs every time you sell, every time you buy, there's all these commissions, there are taxes when you actually realize a sale of, of a security. So there's lots of friction that's built up when, when you actively trade and when you actively manage in terms of fees, like active managing, I'm talking about with, with mutual funds. So I would prefer always to invest in low cost index funds and just let this ride for decades. Just keep on buying through ups and downs. Don't get worried about stock market corrections or crashes, or even crazy run-ups. Those things happen and they will obviously happen over a 50 plus year investing life, but you stay the course, you keep investing month after month with any excess money you have. And of course we can always talk about different investments, like real estate. There's, there's certainly room for that. But for me, it's If you can make the centerpiece of your investing life, low cost index funds, then you're going to have a pretty successful life for, for decades to come.
0: And I think part of that, that wasn't addressed is this idea of removing resistance. And as a parent giving this advice to your kids, you can help with this. Your child should know how to log in to an account to see their funds, how to actually purchase additional funds, and then be able to view that over time. You know, this is one of these skills that many people don't learn until their 30s, don't learn until their 40s. They've lost that window. If you have already been able to coach them through the process and help them set up those accounts so they have that Roth you know, basically set up as soon as they get that first job at the age of 13 or 14, and they're saving 50% of the income and that's done. And they've actually been helped to purchase that first fund and then track what that is actually doing. It becomes real. And then now it's not one of these things that gets kicked down the road into their 30s. And now they're at the age of 35 and they're figuring out how to do this now that they finally have a positive net worth again, that they've paid off all of their student loan debt. Now they're thinking about this sort of thing. Rather, this was built into their educational process at a much younger age, you can't get back that time. But if it's already set up for you, it can be very easy to continue with that framework. So I think for number four, Brad, I want to talk about both career selection and multiple income streams. So for career selection, for the FI community, if once you're saving 50%, we're looking at a 10 to 15-year timeline. This is not the job that you are doing for the rest of your life. This is a tool. Your career is a tool to get you to financial independence. That may change how you select it. I think that there is several cultures, and probably it goes far beyond a particular culture, that feel that there are only four jobs worth getting. And they are in the STEM world. And so everybody needs to be, you know, a, a doctor or in a medical profession, an engineer, an architect. And or maybe, you know, maybe there's another one in there that I could tie to that. But this is very, very misleading, very misleading. I mean, that that views your career as your identity and your identity being something that you're going to do for the next 40 or 50 years. Going back to what we talked about with opportunity cost, your career, your profession is a tool to get you to financial independence. And if we figure out a way to get to a 50% savings rate, it does not really matter what particular profession you choose. In fact, I would encourage you to find something that you love doing Make sure all the numbers work. Make sure that it's going to allow you to hit that median income and that you're going to be able to, you know, race toward this path of financial independence. But I don't think you need to limit yourself to these three or four professions that society tells you you have to do. Your timeline is 10 to 15 years. So just you got to think you just got to think about that and weigh that into it. And then the other path to that is multiple income streams. Don't be 100 percent reliant on your job. There's so many. It's almost cliche. How many movies talk about that soldier, that foot soldier that did everything they were supposed to do and then just got sacked at the end of their, you know, towards the end of their profession as they were expecting that guaranteed pension or that guaranteed whatever they their job let them go. Job security is you having a strong financial ground game, you not relying solely on that W-2 paycheck, you having other things in place for you, never being willing to settle and not consider entrepreneurship. What if you can start thinking about entrepreneurship as a kid where you have multiple small businesses? Maybe they take off, maybe they don't you look into real estate and you get some sort of real estate venture. That's a weakness for me, something that I'm scared of, but don't be scared of it. This is a journey. This is exciting. Think about how you can start to create passive income for yourself and your future family down the road. This is your life to live and you don't need to settle for this one predictable 40 to 60 year path to traditional retirement. Do what you love and find a way to monetize it along the way.
2: Yeah, and Jonathan, to your point about it, not just being those couple of careers, those high prestige careers, that is so important. It, it almost doesn't, doesn't matter in a sense. And, and I don't say that lightly and, and maybe that's not as precise as I want to be possibly, but you don't need to have one of those high prestige careers to achieve five certainly. And sure, maybe a high income would help, but, but it's always that path. It's about that savings rate. It's about getting started early right? These are the important things. I talk about my brother sometimes about how when he graduated college and, and he went to one of the best schools in the country, but he got a psychology degree and he didn't have a a job coming right out. Like, like I did with an accounting degree. So he lived at home and he worked as a waiter and a bartender. Now those aren't technically high prestige careers, but what he did was he saved just like me. He saved 80 to 95% of his income and by the time he got in in his eyes, a quote unquote, real job teaching, he had already saved, I, I forget what the exact number was, but certainly tens of thousands of dollars. And is that some poor waiter and bartender at some chain restaurant? No. In my estimation, that's someone who is wealthy. That's a 24 year old kid at that point who is pretty wealthy just because he followed the five mentality even before he knew what the five mentality was, right? It's just, it's just cutting your expenses and saving as much as you possibly can. So yeah, I mean that, that is real crucial stuff to me. And I guess for number five, I would say just to sum up this entire way of life is think a little bit differently. Think a little bit differently about everything. Just apply some thought, apply some strategy to your life and also look at life through the prism of financial independence, which is a very different life strategy, then virtually every single person around you is, is living right. They're living paycheck to paycheck, barely scraping by and looking at, Hey, maybe I can retire if I'm lucky in my sixties to you having what could be a five to 20 year path to fi, no matter when you're starting, right? That, that causes a fundamental rethink on life. We just had that email before from Steve talking about his HSA. That's a perfect example of thinking a little bit differently. He realized, Hey, I have some room in this account where if I get it in before April 17th, before the tax deadline, I can get a tax deduction and then literally turn right around and get reimbursed for them because I have the medical expense receipts sitting right here. And that saved him, according to him, a couple thousand dollars. That is a remarkable thing. How many people in the general public are thinking that way? One out of a One out of a thousand. I mean, I don't know precisely, but it's pretty darn low. So to me, it's, it's those kind of things. Just look at life as this fun game to win at and just think that little bit differently. And yeah, just, just in summation and Jonathan, of course, I want to hear what, what you think, but it's, it's this, this strategy gives you this power. It gives you this ability to take control of your life. And it's really worth it. And that's, that's about the best way I can describe it.
0: I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Mike job. Thank you. Sir. <laughs> and Kelly, thank you so much for the question. This is so useful for us to kind of work through this stuff and hopefully for our audience, for the community at large. I I really am happy with how this came out. I mean, this is these are this is exactly if you can communicate these concepts, and it doesn't have to be your, to your college age kid. If you can start building a framework of how money works and how you know how the world should work, if you can start instilling these concepts and ideas to your kids, this is what the curriculum for second generation Phi looks like. This this is absolutely it. If they get to their teen years, if they get to their college age years, and are embracing these ideas they're set. You have done what you needed to do to give them a good financial ground game. Everything else will fall into place from there. All right, now I got a voicemail that's very closely tied to this talking about a really cool career opportunities that totally you are in line with what we just talked about. And I think that's one of the things that's really fascinating about this show. It's fine to say that not everybody needs to become a doctor or a lawyer. Oh, that's the one I missed lawyers, engineers, or an architect. But what are those other options that aren't getting talked about? What are these other lanes to this median income or beyond career path that you can get into and it can supercharge your path to Fi? Jim called in with a voicemail that he wants to share.
1: All right, I just want to start off and thank you guys, of course, for the content you're putting out and the community you've brought together. Greatly appreciate them enjoying it, being in the Facebook group and hearing everybody's stories. Just wanted to briefly and hopefully coherently uh, highlight a couple of fairly common careers that uh, me and my wife have chose that are helping us on our path to FI. I know you love talking about second generation FI, and while my family never really spoke about finances at all, uh, when I was growing up... And at least about to finish high school, I look around and my my father and both my uncles are retired in their 40s and uh, are financially independent. Uh, The thing they all had in common was they were uh, retired firefighters. Uh, So that's what I did. I I became a firefighter and I got hired on my department when I was 21 years old with no college degree, making a, a, a very decent income, which has only gone up from there. Obviously, the way that that is going to Help me on the path to FI is number one. There's a government pension. If things stay the way they are, and I do a 25 year career, which by the way would put me retiring at 46, my pension will be more than more than double my FI number, basically on my yearly yearly income. Uh, that's great. You don't want to completely rely on a pension. You never know what's going to happen. Even though, even if they half my pension benefits, I'll still be at FI just based on that. So I don't know that I want to work till 46 though. Maybe I want to retire early. I'm utilizing my 457 that I have available to me. Basically I can do 10 or 15 years in my career and I can live off my 457 among other investments, but my 457 and then my pension still has me at five just from doing half a career. So there's that. Uh, Aside from that, yeah I, my work schedule is is incredible i work 2 24 hour shifts a week so i go to work two days a week uh, obviously i could use that in in my five journey to start a side hustle a second business a business a second job anything like that i like how you guys talk about owning you know making mistakes but if they work for you so currently i like to use that as a life hack and spend my five days off with my 6 month old daughter and my wife I said I have no degree, though I am almost finished with my bachelor's degree that is completely paid for from my department. So that's just a brief overview of my career. And now I'd like to highlight my wife's. She is an emergency room nurse. So in contrast, she went to a normal four years of college, got her bachelor's of science in nursing. And we, you know, most people know the benefits of nursing, flexible schedule, it's a great career, good pay. But we have found a what we think is kind of the ultimate career hack where she actually does a a seasonal travel assignment, seven-month contract every single year at the same hospital. It's about 50 miles away from where we live. And they pay her nearly double um, what she would normally make at another hospital for those seven months, uh, which allows her to have five months off, which we don't really have five months off. She'll work part-time at a different hospital for five months and then continue that trend every year. Again, she works three 12 hour days a week so We just use that again as a life hack To spend a lot of time together as a family Um, In retirement As far as her career goes uh, Just to have Just to have some more income when she Retires early and to Travel the country uh, We plan on doing more travel assignments In places that are not local We can travel, do 3 month, 4 month Whatever, 6 month contracts We can travel around the country And they'll pay you handsomely and uh put you up uh your lodging pay for your housing during that time generally speaking so that's just a basic overview of a couple of careers that uh can be utilized very well in the path to fi again thank you for everything you guys are putting out and uh any other questions i'm on the facebook group please uh, contact me uh, direct any questions you have to me about those thank you
0: it's exciting brad it's so exciting to see how other people are tackling this this game and just just absolutely crushing it
2: Yeah. I mean, how lucky are we to be in this community where all these incredible people exist and are doing just these little kind of offbeat strategies, but they're not unusual. There's nothing weird about this. It's just these little life hacks that, that just work. And I'm sure there's someone out there listening to Jim's voicemail and saying, holy cow, my family member is an ER nurse. Maybe we could do those seasonal travel assignments right? In the, in his case, his wife is only going 50 miles away, but it's paying her nearly double. And then they have this thing where she's working three 12 hour days. He's working his two days and then has five days off a week to spend with his wife and the six month old. I mean, it is just really, really cool. Jim, that what an awesome voicemail. Thank you.
0: And Brad, you remember a couple of weeks ago when I left, I think it was on our episode called Left Behind. I think it was like episode 70 or 71 R. And I was just kind of struggling with the realities of how much trash and plastic is filling up our oceans. Yeah, you bet. Well, I just saw an article on my homepage. It was under the tagline, world changing ideas. The revolutionary giant ocean cleanup machine is about to set sail. Boyan Slat dropped out of school to work on his design for a device that could collect the trillions of pieces of plastic floating in the ocean. After years of work, it's ready to take its first voyage. This is amazing. And there's one additional paragraph. It said some scientists have been skeptical that the idea is feasible. But Slat undeterred dropped out of his first year of university to pursue the concept and founded a nonprofit to create the technology. This organization, Brad, actually raised over $2.2 million in crowdfunding, and by the end of 2018, the nonprofit is saying it's going to be able to bring back its first harvest of ocean plastic from the North Pacific, along with concrete proof that this actually works. They are expecting to bring in 5,000 kilograms of plastic per month with the first system. And if they can get a full fleet of these, the organization thinks it can collect half of the plastic trash in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, the one that I was talking about, around 40,000 metric tons within five years. This is what it looks like to find a problem and solve it. This is incredible. And I just, you know, if I was kind of depressed that week, I'm blown away that this is actually happening. Oh, that's so cool!
2: I'm sure you will keep us updated over the months and years, and and yeah, I love that you are basically searching for this so much that probably Google and Facebook are are serving it up to you in (laughs) there. You are so
0: right. That's exactly what it is. Google knows me too well. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. All right, man. Unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you guys know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. There's three books that we offer. We have JL Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth, Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future, and Vincent Puglisi's book, Freelance to Freedom. If you want to enter this drawing, it's super simple. All you got to do, just go to chooseifycom slash iTunes, follow the instructions there and leave us a short written review either on iTunes or Stitcher. And then send us an email to feedback at choosefi.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We announce the winners every week on the Friday roundup. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get. And Brad, how many winners do we have today?
2: All right, Jonathan, we have two winners today. And the first winner is Don, who sent the review in through Stitcher. And he said, I discovered Choose Fi about three weeks ago after being mentioned on a different podcast, came over to listen to the Pillars of Fi episode. Loved it so much that I went back to number one and listened to all of them at 1.5 X speed within just a few episodes. Chooseify has rapidly become my all time favorite podcast. Not only do they talk about personal finance as many do, they throw in life hacks from every aspect to improve your life, not only with finances, but with overall happiness and health Brad and Jonathan make the show super entertaining. I've been sharing it with everyone I know that would benefit from it. We should have been around 20 years ago to guide me on the right path. Luckily I can now use the techniques discussed to help my teenage kids be better prepared for their adult lives and reach Phi at an early age. We are now putting these strategies in place for our family life as well to dig out of debt and work towards Phi. Thanks for all you do to improve the lives of millions, future generations, Will hail Choose FI as the keystone of our community.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's just, I, wow. <laughs> that's a futurist. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank it really you, Don. Is. Really appreciate it. And Jonathan, our second winner is Matt. And Matt says consistently practical and inspiring. If you found that Dave Ramsey's baby steps ended too early, this is the podcast for you choose a five dives into the finer points of being a steward of your resources, taking responsibility for your past choices as well as your future choices and provides countless contrarian views to the assumptions of daily life. Brad and Jonathan are quick to invite different opinions and admit when they have been wrong or haven't done something justice. Today ends my month-long bender of listening to Chooseify Back Catalog, 143 episodes of Practical, thought-provoking, inspiring, balanced personal finance theory and life hacks. This was the first podcast where I slowed playback speed down to 1.1 so I can soak up the finer points of concepts that I could not grasp on my own. Example would be the IRA conversion ladder. I'm so thankful for the Friday roundups in which the hosts in the community break down the Monday episodes, looking further in depth, providing greater context, or stepping through real world examples with math to put flesh and bones on financial concepts. I pepper my poor wife with podcasts. articles. And this is the first podcast where she has requested that we keep listening at the end of an episode. This is leading to true perspective change for us and is reaching my wife in ways that meet her where she is, where mustachian face punches could not always reach. The fire is spreading. Thanks to you, my friends. Matt, thank you so much. We're truly grateful and unbelievable. You went through 143 episodes in one month. You understand the limits of my vocabulary. (laughs) All right, guys, if you got value from the show today, if you got value from the episodes up to this point, take one second, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. It just lets the providers know you're getting value from the show and you want to be here when we produce additional content. The fire is spreading, my friends. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth, one life hack at a time.